ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It dropped this morning at 6 a.m. Check out the guys Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on the Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff Mosher's in the house today, and it's brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. And a lot of Eagles news to dive into, so let's get into it with Jeff as he appears via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Jeff, I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, the Eagles, uh, they're getting healthy all of a sudden. Who knew? Yeah, how about that? For the first time, I think they've gotten more guys back than they've lost, right? Because they've got it coming back today who practiced and four guys who are out. So anytime this team is net positive in the injury column is great news for them. Yeah. They've been net negative all year long. All right, so let's go through some of the guys and what we can anticipate. Lane Johnson, Miles Sanders, Alshon Jeffrey, Malik Jackson. Those were the first four guys up. He said they're all day-to-day. Of those guys, Lane, Miles, Alshon, Malik, any of those guys, will any of those guys play on Sunday night? Alshon will not play. I can't imagine it happening. Lane, I'm sure, is going to be one of those game-time decisions where he tests himself, but I wouldn't consider it. With Lane, I never. To consider unlikely, he's one of the few he practice all week, but that doesn't mean he's not going to play. Most guys, if they don't practice, it means they don't play. But with Lane, we know that not practicing for him is kind of a good thing with the ankle because it gives him the rest that they said he's needed. So we'll see if game time the ankle feels good enough for him to test it. I, I, I would almost hope they don't. I think Doug's being very duplicitous when he talks about it, and for example, today in his press conference he said you know we have to be smart as a coaching staff and as a medical staff and then in the very next sentence he said but you know lane comes to us and tells us he's ready to go then we're gonna go ride it with lane all the time and i say well if you have to be smart as a coaching staff as in a medical staff isn't it then you as the head coach has to say help the player kind of save himself from him i know it's great to have lane out there but is it great to have constant rotation is it great to have a guy who's not practicing all week get out there when a guy who has been practicing all week now is on the bench. It almost seems like wasted reps. So I have an issue with how they've handled Lane Johnson for the past few weeks here. And we'll see moving forward if he goes. Uh, I think Miles Sanders also a little bit very, very unlikely for him to play. We'll see as the as the week goes on. And who was the last guy you asked me about? Malik Jackson. Malik, it sounds like he was out there today, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe there's a shot that they can get him on. You know, it's it's quadruped, so I think like that one you have to see how it responds to some real practicing and see how it goes before you can, can make that determination. Um, all right, what about the next group of guys? Let's go to Jason Peters because uh, there's a lot of uh, people at practice today saying he was at left tackle. Uh, Peterson was kind of asked about it. He said, well, maybe left tackle, maybe right guard, but it seems like Mayalata was playing right tackle, and you talked about moving people around. Uh, so why Peters at tackle, Mayalata at Hello, the right tackle? You guys? What's no? You're there. We got you. Hello. Yo, yo, yo! Just randomly, he just pops off like that, right? Uh, all right, he just vanished out of there. I heard his dog. Yeah, that was weird because normally we wouldn't be able to hear him if he couldn't hear us. But 
Yeah, I don't know. We, we we try to connect with him through Zoom a lot of times, and I don't know what happens with that Zoom connection where he just kind of vanishes and comes back. So I can't really answer that, but I heard him. He heard – I guess he yeah. didn't hear us. It's interesting because when we used to have to do the show remotely, I would be at my place via Zoom, and we'd connect and all that, and it was good. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, we – have some connection issues with his Zoom from time to time, but we'll try to get him back on there and uh, whatever. But uh, so real quick, Peters was playing left tackle today. Maialata was at right tackle today. Now, if they were going to play a game without Lane Johnson, as frustrating as it is to move Maialata, does this make the most sense? I would say yes, but here's the only caveat. They, they've they always told us in the past, well, we don't like to move multiple guys. Like, I don't want to move my left tackle to play right tackle, then I have two different guys. Like, they like to try to keep guys in their normal spots. They have kind of gone against that this year. I think we got Jeff back here. So, Jeff, do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, there we go. So, Jason Peters, left tackle. It looks like Maialata was playing right tackle. But if Lane Johnson can play... Do we think that Peters would play guard, or are they kind of sticking to their guns with Peters at left tackle? Well, and I think him playing left tackle is an indication that you're probably not going to see Lane Johnson play because that has enabled them to put Jordan Maialata at right tackle now. I don't think they want to practice that way all week and then have to make the decision to move Jason Peters back to left tackle Lane Johnson plays right tackle, and Maialata's coming off the bench. That's not what you want. You want to continue his development um, and get you know the best guys that you've got out there. I think that what they're doing today is more of a reflection of where they want Matt Pryor to play. You know, if you put Maialata at right tackle and Peters at left tackle, then you play. I'm going to assume Matt Pryor at right guard, and um, Nate Herbig will go to left guard because you don't want Sua Opeta in there again, that was really an emergency start and it did not go well. But if you take Maialata, leave him at left tackle and put Jason Peters at right guard, then you have to play Matt Pryor at right tackle. I think they kind of like it better with uh, Matt Pryor at right guard than right tackle. So, you know, there's so many moving parts and so many different, it's not always about the individual, but it's how it impacts the entire line when they're making these decisions. All right. Two other guys, I guess, uh, one, Dallas Goddard activated from the 21-day practice window. Do we anticipate that he could play on Sunday? And Jalen Rager, also, he was activated last week, practice today. What's the status of those two players? Goddard, I'd be surprised. I think if there was a real optimism that he would play on uh, Sunday night, then he would have been activated into the 21-day window on uh, Monday, like Jason Peters and, and Jalen Rager were. Rager, I've been told, has had a great recovery. I mean, he's had his cast removed two weeks early from that left thumb of his. Uh, I believe it was the the Sunday of the Baltimore game is the day I reported that he had already had the cast removed two weeks ahead. At the time, they said the timetable would still be the same as far as coming back, probably after the bye week. But. But dot, 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 he vanished disappointing does this happen a lot when he does inside the birds no you produce that show yeah is he on the zoom yes does he vanish no not Weird. like this i was gonna say maybe it's the room that he's typically in. right no not like this so 
pretty disappointing. So are you excited? You're disappointed about that, but are you yeah. excited about Jalen Rieger? He's been uh, reporting a lot about Rieger that the the, the calf was uh, the cast was off. He was out there. I saw a video. He's out there catching passes. So was Goddard today, though. Yeah, that's one of the questions I want to ask most when we get him back on. Is like, what is a fair expectation? For Jalen Rieger, when it comes to usage after this thumb injury, lack of conditioning, all that. You know, that plays a role into it. What What's a fair expectation for him this week when it comes to the usage rate? For Jalen, yeah. it'll be interesting because he was kind of, um, you know, he was asked about him, uh, Doug was, and he didn't kind of uh, insinuate that he was going to play. But it sounds like all arrows are pointing towards him playing. So, yeah, right, when he's back out there. Does he get a full complement of plays, or they, is he on a pitch count? Right, especially with Sean Jackson not being there. Yeah, all right. I think we are going to try a different method here with Jeff Mosher. There we go. We should keep. We should. Uh, we should keep you pretty solidly now, right? This feels like last night's decision. To- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever decision we make, it's not working. <laughs> yes, this isn't working. So, Jalen Rieger, do you anticipate him on Sunday night? Okay, so as I was telling you, um, I, here's what I know. He had the cast removed from his left thumb two weeks early, which was always a good sign of a quicker recovery than they anticipated. But they did not move up his time in return um, because they just didn't know how it would respond going forward. So it was always after the bye week. But his thumb has responded well to just catching footballs. They activated him on Monday to be able to get him that extra practice for the week because they don't normally – get out there on a Monday, but this week they did. Uh, so they got out there Monday. I was told they had no soreness, no discomfort, no problems uh, on Tuesday after having that kind of a workout on Monday. So he'll practice today. He'll practice Thursday. He'll do some light work Friday like they do. As long as there's no setbacks, as long as there's no discomfort, I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to play there because he's basically checked off all the boxes, and then it becomes a coach's decision on whether they want to use him or not. All right, so let's say he does play. What is a fair expectation for Jalen Rieger? You know, the thumb you mentioned, but what about the lack of conditioning? We've seen them go on a snap count with Deshaun Jackson, albeit way later in his career. But, you know, when it comes to usage, what is fair out of uh, out of Rieger? Yeah, certainly not playing the entire game. I don't think that's, that's a, a fair expectation. He was returning punts today in practice, and again, it's hard to know if that's you know, part of the deal is that you're not going to play the full game, so we will have you return to punts or if they were just getting him back into the full of everything that he can do. But if he plays, he'll be out there, and uh, if they start a big play, I'm sure he'll be a big part of it. But they now have more healthy receivers than they've had in the past, right? Because they'll, even, even with Deshaun down, they'll still have Fulgham, they'll still have Ward, they'll still have Hightower, they'll add Rieger, and you'll have Arthago Whiteside. So it's five guys right there. Uh, who can be on the field. So I'm sure there's some kind of rotation. And I would imagine with Fulgham entrenched uh, at the X, although, by the way, Fulgham moves around a lot more than I, I realize. I've been doing a lot of tape study, and we have a, a special kind of uh, show for you for our Sunday pregame show, some telestration technology that we've added to the show that will show you just how good Fulgham's been. But uh, I would imagine that Rager is going to move around a little bit while Fulgham mostly plays the X. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast, a new one dropped this morning. We will uh, take a look at a lot of different things here because, obviously, as you mentioned, all these guys are starting to get back healthy. And uh, how do you think this changes the offense now? Do you think that Doug is vanilla because of what he has? Does he open things up a little bit more? I guess, um, do you do you anticipate that 
Uh, I don't know. that. I mean, as you said, we don't know if we're going to see Goddard this week. Probably don't see Miles Sanders. But they're trending towards mm-hmm. getting back a full complement of weapons, at least. Does that change Doug's play calling? Well, I think it changes the schematics of his offense in that, you know, they started off the year heavy 12 personnel. That's what they were last year more than every team. Obviously, they're down their number one and two tight end and getting better at wide receiver. So it enables them not only to play more 11 personnel like they've been doing the last week or two, but even get in some 10, you know, without, you know, if you want to take a tight end off the field and uh, have a really kind of fast, dynamic, twitchy type offense and have four wide receivers out there, you have the ability to do that and really put stress on a Dallas defense. And my God, guys, I've seen some, some bad secondaries before, and we saw it with the Eagles last year with guys like Russell Douglas and Sydney who get beat over the top. But watch you watch some tape on Dallas and a number of just blown assignments and people standing around not understanding their own coverages in that secondary is just an it's an unmitigated disaster. And so if you're Doug, you're thinking, Yeah, I want to capitalize on that. I want to put my speed on the field and as often as I can and maybe show that 10 personnel package and, and try to stretch the field. And John Hightower can definitely do that. And I want to ask your thoughts on, you know, Hightower's role. As guys start to come back, you've seen that he has a home run ability. He started out struggling, making more of his opportunities as of late. As guys do return, how do you think Hightower's role is impacted? Well, I think it actually allows you to be flexible with him, Hunter. Uh, and again, you're, you're flexible with what you can do schematically. So Hightower is a guy who really impressed the team in training camp with his ability to learn multiple positions. Um, his football intelligence, they told me, was, was really good and, and more than they even realized coming out of Boise State. So you've got Fulgham, you've got Rager. You could theoretically put them in certain packages as your outside receivers and put Hightower in the slot. You could also put Rager in the slot and put Hightower on the outside. But I like the idea of Hightower in the slot a little bit because, you know, when it's third and three and you're just trying to pick up that first down, you want Greg Ward in there because that guy has short area quickness and just the ability to get open in those short seams better than anybody on the team. But if you think about 2017, when they just made so many explosive plays, when Nelson Aguilar was really feeling it as a vertical slot, well, that gives you the uh, real ability there to do that with Rager and Hightower on the field, and one of them was into the spot. Um, yeah, a lot of options with uh, all of a sudden. you got a lot of options, uh, and uh, we'll see if they end up uh, you know, evolving this offense a little bit. Let's, uh, oh, you, know, you take a look forward to, oh, yesterday Jim Schwartz talked about Maddox, uh, that he's the starter on the outside. What does this mean for you know, the Will Parks, Mills, that group of guys? Uh, how do they kind of work that? Now, I, I'm imagining Roby Coleman goes back to the slot. Yeah, I think that's where the trickle-down impact is felt the best because Robbie Coleman has been playing outside the last two games, uh, which they can get away with because, I guess, the Giants, you know, outside was there, and then play was on Slayton. So Robbie Coleman could get away with having to cover um, the other diet receivers who aren't as prolific. You'll go and kind of move around a little bit. But you saw that with MRC outside the trap, Kevon Nickel and he was abused by Tate. He's a good player. I know he likes him, and you know he's a tough-minded player. But you don't want him on the field as much as he's had to be on the field lately. You want him as kind of your special teams guy, and maybe your fourth quarter in certain uh, sub packages. 
So having Avante Maddox back to play the outside uh, opposite play means that Nicole Roby Coleman can go back to playing the slot most of the time. They're also getting, as you mentioned, getting healthier at safety. So they want to play big nickel or dime. That's when those three safety looks come into play. Again, it just helps you kind of get your people you expected to be on the field for most of the snaps going into the year are now the people who are on the field and you're not relying on your fourth and fifth string guys so much to play prominent roles. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's interesting because now here they are starting to get healthy around the 8K mark. And, uh, you know, this team has been a team, Jeff, over the years that has battled adversity. They've gotten into holes and they've dug themselves out of it. Are they a better team maybe than we've been giving them credit for if they're healthy? Well, I mean, if they're healthy, yeah. I mean, obviously their injuries have been a big part of well, yeah, I think most people. I think most people have written this team off as it's just an awful team. The whole division's bad. I mean, if the Eagles are a healthy team, you know, all season long. I mean, I know everybody goes through their injuries, but I'm just, you know, I mean, is their roster more talented than maybe we give them credit for because they've been so bad? I think if you ask most people what your expectations of the Eagles were going into the year, like when training camp started, they thought it was between the Eagles and the Cowboys for the division. So I think fans and media and people expected the Eagles to be in that 9-11 to 11 type win category. But the problem wasn't just, it wasn't just the injuries, right? It was, just, it was literally that they would suffer these long-term injuries, and then their backups were coming in and having injuries. And they played a couple of games there in a row where they were on fourth and fifth stringers all over the map. And it really started with the offensive line, and Carson was taking hits, and Carson himself wasn't playing well. And then obviously Deshaun getting hurt. I mean, it, it felt like all of the bad from the last two years hitting them even earlier than before, and it didn't seem like there was a light at the end of that funnel, along with the fact that they couldn't even beat the Bengals. They had to tie them. That all kind of, I would say, came together in this perfect storm of maybe this team isn't that good. And I still think that question has to be I mean, certainly they just barely beat a really bad Giants team, and if Evan Ingram catches the ball – uh, we're having a totally different discussion about the Eagles, even with these guys coming back. Uh, you know, they're, the tale of this team will be told during that five-game stretch against Cleveland, Green Bay, New Orleans, uh, uh, who am I missing, uh, Arizona, yeah. and Seattle. So if they lose four or five or three of those games, it's just not – it's going to be they are what we thought they were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah as far as what we thought they were in late September. Hey, when you look across to Dallas, I mean, they trade away Griffin. They cut Poe. They cut um, Worley today. Uh, Dalton's injured. I mean, are they waving the white flag? Is this a how many how many team race is this? Well, I thought that originally. I don't know what the, the deal with Griffin, but I do know that Worley had played awfully. So I don't know if they feel like they're facing by subtraction. I think they're getting their cornerback, whose name is difficult for me to pronounce, Chidobi Awuzie. Yep. I butchered that. No, you did pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, I think they're getting him back, and so Worley became expendable. Uh, look, I mean, they're starting Ben DiNucci, though, most likely at quarterback if Dalton can't go. And so that just becomes a situation where as all the misery they have going on, the coaches questioning the players, the players questioning the coaches, uh, the inability for anybody to stand up for Dalton after he gets hit, the owner – you know, exploding on sports radio yesterday. It's a mess. And then they have to go start most likely Ben DiNucci from JMU, you know, a rookie. It's just not a good situation for them. It is. It, I think it's as bad as it appears to be. 
That being said, so is this a two-team race, a three-team race, a one-team race? When you look at the NFC East, yeah. well, how do you? What is, you were halfway through the year? I, you got all four teams all have a stake to say we can win this thing, but how many of these teams legitimately do you think are in this race? So, if you guys remember, uh, in the spring and summer, I talked about this a, a lot. I said. What Washington is doing, assembling all these guys on the front seven, this Montez Sweat, John Allen, and Chase Young, and Deron Payne, and Ryan Kerrigan, reminds me in a small way of how San Francisco went from really bad to really good uh, because of that defensive front that they had last year. Now, oh, they also were able to get Jimmy Garoppolo and healthy. So I said I felt Washington, if they somehow could find some stability at quarterback, you know what Ron Rivera brings. You know the culture he can instill. You know he's going to run the ball fairly well and, and have a, a very good emerging defense here. If they can get stability at quarterback, I think that they will be in it um, at the end of the season. I don't know if they'll win it, but I think they'll be in it, and I still believe that. And I wonder if in a few weeks, if Alex Smith, who you know is coming back from a major, major injury, he may never really, really start again or be the player that he was because of it. But Kyle Allen, you saw what he did against the Cowboys. He knows the scheme. Maybe he improves a little bit more each week because of that and because of what's around him. I think that Washington will be in it by the end. I'd be very surprised if we're not talking about them competing with the Eagles uh, for that division title. I mean, the Cowboys are really going to have – if they don't get Dalton – I mean, even if Dalton comes back, it might be almost too late for them. I mean, they've got so many other issues going on with their injuries and their offensive line as well. But Washington, to me, has always been the sleeper. And I continue to not sleep on them. Funny, the team that has probably the quarterback with the worst track record or the least uh, track record uh, is the team that maybe that uh, some people uh, like the most. So I guess we'll ask you, since everyone's been talking about it today, it sounds as if um, just going through your social media, you did not have a big issue with the Rays and their decision last night. I didn't. Um, I've heard you guys and Hunter talking about it today, Mike, and, and I don't have an issue per se either with you saying you would have done it differently. I have an issue with people throwing analytics under the bus and saying it's destroying the game, as Hunter has mentioned times without mentioning that the Dodgers, any other organization that didn't believe or didn't hold on to analytics would have started Walker Bueller on three days, but they started for the second time uh, our rotation of relievers, which is as analytically driven as it gets, but no one seems to be critical of their decision because they won. And so that to me means you go and look at the decision that he made to pull Kevin Cash made. Was it a bad decision or a bad outcome? I believe it was a bad outcome, not a bad decision. And I think that you see that all across sports where Good decisions are made and bad outcomes happen or bad decisions are made and sometimes good outcomes happen. I'll give you a perfect example. Doug Peterson going in for, for two against San Francisco, getting it. They go up 8 nothing on their first touchdown. That is not analytics right there. That was Doug Peterson's gut. All right? and there is no analytic that tells you to do uh, the, the two-point conversion there. He did it because he was trying to jumpstart his team, which didn't really work because they didn't score a lot of points that game. But because they won by four, I believe, and San Francisco would have had to kick the field goal at the end of they could have tied it if he didn't do that, right? It, it makes it look like it was a genius analytical move, but it's not. And then it wound up biting him in the butt a week or two later when he tries to kick a field goal, again, using gut, right? Field for the game. Tries to kick a field goal on Heinz Field, 
that's 57 yards when nobody's ever attempted it. I'm sorry, no one's ever been able to do that in that stadium before. So those were you, those are an example of a bad decision against the Niners that leads to a good outcome, a bad decision against uh, the Steelers that leads to a bad outcome. And for me, for Kevin Cash, the evidence was there because in game two, he did the same exact thing and won the game, and nobody said boo about it. So I, I don't think game six – you have to deviate because your evidence tells you that you've already. To be done fair, it I don't know. I think according to the ratings, no one watched Game Two. <laughs> I don't think anybody watched until last night. Yeah, well, that's exa- true. So exactly. It was, it was not a bad decision. I think you guys were right in what you said. Well, maybe they should should have gone to a different reliever. Okay, I, I can go with that. that. That's true. The guy was struggling. I'm not bashing him for it. I just don't agree with it. And I would say I'm not killing him for it. I know that's what they do. I just wish, you know, uh, he had the, like you said, like the, the intuition to deviate from the script every once in a while. You're allowed to deviate from your script every once in a while. You don't have to right, follow it every he? time. Uh, well, the, I guess my that's a fair question. Why would he? Why would he is because, yeah. well, because he has his best pitcher on the mound. That's why. But that's the thing, that most teams consider that to be correct, that your starter is your best pitcher and your relievers are not. But the Rays are built so that their bullpen is their best asset. So in his mind, you're asking him to say, I want to go to not my best asset. Right? Remember, in his mind, his bullpen is his best weapon. Yeah. So you're asking him to almost use a gut feeling that goes against the entire kind of culture that he's built and they're, they're, they're his gut feeling about who his best weapons are. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, Nick Anderson said after the game that he admitted he was tired and that he probably shouldn't have pitched. He was fatigued. I think those are things that need to be, you know, in a 60-game season, 162-game season, you can't t- keep taking your starters out in the fifth inning every single night. they got to give you innings. Over a 60-game season, maybe, but you saw, you heard him last night say he was tired. And that's over a 60-game sample size. Over 162, how long can they get away with doing that? That's why on one night I say, my best guy, I'm going to stick with them. And they didn't do it, and unfortunately they lost. But, hey, it's been great conversation, and uh, we'll see. Baseball's done, and they lost. All right, man, we appreciate the time. I missed it already. (laughs) I missed it already, too. All right, uh, he, like all guests, appeared to be the Boardwalk Honda Hotline Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. When we come back, this NFC East has been a mess. John Clayton, the professor, will ask him, how many teams are in this NFC East race? Are the Cowboys even in it? Sunday night, the Eagles and the Cowboys renew their rivalry. First place is on the line, but, man, we've talked a lot about how bad this division it is. But it's worse than we really think. John Clayton, the Washington Post, wrote about how the Dallas Cowboys have no fight. I'm interested to get John's take. Now, we've talked to John a couple of weeks here. He's been excellent uh, with his Washington Post articles. Check them out each week on the NFL. And... um, We've been kind of going back and forth about, like, if the Eagles could just... John's mentioned it. Whoever wins, like, their division games here. But, John, I'm interested to get your take. At this point, we're about halfway through the season now. You wrote about Dallas. No fight left. You've seen them play. Philly gets the win over the Giants. Washington got a big win last week. A big win over Dallas. 
How many teams in the NFC East are in this race? Are they all still in, or is this just the Eagles to lose now? How do you kind of handicap this seven weeks through? Well, I mean, two weeks ago, I thought this was all set for Dallas to be able to do it because even though they lost Dak Prescott, I thought Andy Dalton was going to be you know, good enough to manage through and be able to get maybe five wins in a division. Because, you know, honestly, I mean, you look at the way the first half of the season goes, two fifteen and one in non-division games, you know, none of these teams are going to win much out of the division. So who has the chance to win the most division games? I thought it would be Dallas, but then their defense kept getting worse. The I guess you could say this harmony on the team kept getting worse. And also what kept getting worse is just the, uh, you know, what was what was going on with the coaching and everything else. I mean, you've got a defensive coordinator who can't even have a Zoom press conference without getting injured. I mean, he gets uh, Tabasco <laughs> in his eye and to stop the uh, Zoom press conference. I mean, that's how bad it is. And so now I think it's Phillies to, uh, to win. And what, what's amazing, and I don't think I'm wrong on this, and this is where I – I think it's time to acknowledge that Carson Wentz has to be stopped criticized because what you're looking at is at the end of the game, and I hope I'm correct on this, the only starter left on the field uh, on Sunday with uh, Carson Wentz was the center, Jason Kelsey. That was it. Mm -hmm. Four offensive linemen starters gone, two wide receiver, two tight ends. Miles Sanders didn't play. Am I missing something? But there was nine starters missing from the team at the end of the game. No, you're not missing stuff, but they are starting to slowly get some of these guys back. You're getting Jason Peters back. You're getting, um, uh, well, Goddard practiced today, but he's probably not going to play. Rieger practiced. He probably will play. Sanders is probably another week away. But that being said, you're getting slowly guys back. So what did we think about Philly before the season, that if they can be healthy, should they expect to win more than just a division game? In other words, can they, you know, they've been four and five and turned their season around the last two seasons. Should they think that they can shoot for more than just winning these NFC East games and getting in at like six, nine, and one? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can think so because I think there's enough talent there, particularly on defense. And if they can get the offensive line together, then, uh, you know, it makes it better. But again, you know, Carson Wentz, and that's where I think, you know, he he deserves criticism because, again, you know, I think there's some ways because of the hits he's had some happy feet, some of the mechanics are off. But how can you have a personality or anything going with the offense when you don't have anything out there? I mean, you're relying on practice squad players, even though the practice squad players have been better than the starters, to be able to get through. But when I mean, you look at the receiving core that was a struggle last year, and right now for talent it's worse than it is this year because of the injuries. And so now – uh, it's a matter that you know Carson has been able to struggle through, but I think that there's enough there with him that he can get them through and win the division and win a couple games outside the division. Now, again, I don't know if it's going to be you know a home game that they'll have on a Monday night against Seattle. Can they squeeze that one out? They lost two to Seattle last year, and Seattle still, despite their bad defense, is maybe still the number one seed in the NFC. But, uh, no, I think right now, I mean, you still look at the Washington football team. You know, they're a struggle. I mean, you look at the Giants, and they're hopeless. And then the Dallas Cowboys right now, because this, this game, I think, is going to determine, okay, who is going to be the favorite to win the division? And, you know, with Ben Danuzzi as the starting quarterback, and they're letting all their defensive players go. I mean, they've now uh, traded Everson Griffin. They cut Don Terry Poe. They cut Daryl Worley. And they pretty much will get rid of anybody. They're on a fire sale. So it's like uh, this is one now where the Eagles can say, okay, fine, our record may not be great, but you're going to be the fourth seed. John Clayton, the Washington Post, you wrote that the Cowboys have no fight. 
what is this a product of? The the coaching hire, bad roster construction, ownership, uh, ownership. What? Why do the Cowboys lack this fight? I think I think this certainly has to go to what's going on, you know, internally with the coaching staff. Because when you have players going on the NFL Network anonymously saying that these guys aren't teaching us, these guys aren't uh, prepared, all those different things, which is probably inaccurate, but again, you know, it's it's just it's not hitting. You know, and when you're in a situation like that, it's like you're losing the locker room. And really, and you're seeing this, you know, particularly in the NFC East. Obviously, you're not seeing it in Philadelphia. But, you know, in Washington, you know, with the Washington football team, Ron Rivera benched Dwayne Haskins because he was afraid of losing the locker room because it seemed like a lot of the players weren't happy with the work ethic of uh, Dwayne Haskins. You know, he wasn't getting the job done. And they so he benched them with the idea. It's like, I got to do this just to keep everybody in the game. And, of course, he's kept everybody in the game. But then you look at Dallas. I mean, you know, after that, you know, he, you can see Mike McCarthy was not happy that nobody stuck up for Andy Dalton unless it was an egregious hit that may knock him out for a couple of weeks and who knows how long because that was a bad helmet to helmet hit. But you know, what you're looking at is that uh, you know after that, not only did the players not stick up for Andy, it looked like they went through the motions playing. I mean, you lose 33 to six, and you can appreciate this watching the Eagles with all their injuries. You know, San Francisco is almost matching them for injuries, and they lose. You know, they win by 27 points. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys are definitely a, a riot right now. But I want to touch on something you said about Carson Wentz. So there is a lot of criticism with Wentz, and a lot of people look at the quarterback position and they say, well, they need to elevate their talent around them. That's what good quarterbacks do. But then there's also a minority of people talking about how these practice squad players in Fulgham, Greg Ward, they're not actually practice squad players. They're NFL regulars. Well, could you argue that Carson Wentz is one of the reasons why, by elevating his talent, that we speak about Travis Fogum and Greg Ward the way that we do? Yeah, I would, because, again, it's like, uh, you know, and you saw Greg Ward last year when he came on the scene and he did some good things. And I think, again, so much of that is Carson Wentz raising the level of the players around him. Now, again, it hasn't worked out with Whiteside, but then is that Whiteside or is that Carson Wentz? And, you know, you certainly are you know, missing two tight ends, and so you're scrapping at that position. But overall, I think that, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Fogum has done such a good job, Ward's been respectable, I mean, that's on Wentz. Let's uh, take a look at a couple other things here. Uh, Seattle, we saw them the other night. You said there's one weakness that finally caught up to them. Is it going to be something they can fix? Uh, or is Seattle a team that we got to start questioning a little bit, especially with that defense? Well, they're trying to fix it right now. I mean, they made the trade for Carlos Dunlap today, so that, that helped. You know, this week, I mean, they cut Anthony Rush, a defensive tackle, which tells me that Damon Snacks Harrison is going to come off the injured list, or actually the practice squad, and then get on the active roster. So now you're talking about adding a 350-pound run-stopping defensive tackle. Next week, you've got the uh, sack leader for the Bengals in history with 82-and-a-half sacks. Not that he's the same player as he was when he went to the Pro Bowl in 15 and 16, but still, it's an upgrade, and it gives them one more option, and I don't think they're done. I think they're still looking around. In fact, I was kind of wondering, you know, do they make a call to the Eagles and say, hey, which you willing to give away Vinnie Curry for a cheap price? Uh, you know, I kind of wonder about that, but that's just me wondering more than me knowing anything about that. But no, I think they're trying the best they can to you know fix a bad situation. I mean, when you have a game against Kyler Murray, who is good, and you go 48 passing plays and you get no quarterback hits, no sacks, 
and one pressure? I mean, something has to give. And what gave today was them trading B.J. Finney in a seventh to go get uh, Carlos Dunlap. And we will see if that pays off. Now, I want to get your thoughts on Baker Mayfield's comeback against the Bengals. I thought it was impressive because, you know, as inconsistent and as disappointing as Baker's been, I mean, here he has one of the worst starts you could have for a quarterback. I mean, he goes 0 for 5, and he throws an interception that gets two players injured, including Odell Beckham Jr., who blew out his Achilles. Now, J.C. Treader, the setter, was able to come back on the field you know, after a play and finish the game and do all those things. But it's like you start off that bad, and then you come back and you go 22 for 23, five touchdown passes at 297 yards. That is impressive. And then the thing that I like the best is here he was at the end of the game. You know, They were thinking about going for the game-tying field goal, and he goes, no. We're going for the touchdown. They said, screw this. Let's go for the touchdown and win, and, he, and they won. Uh, all right, we'll uh, take a look at one more here. Is it time for NFL fans for the first time in 20 years to bail on the Patriots? I think you've got to consider it, yeah, because, and you know, let's put it this way, we'll know the answer at the end of the game in Buffalo on Sunday because if they're sitting two and five, uh, all of a sudden they go from a team that uh, you know, was contending for a title to now a team is contending for a top 10 draft choice. And I don't know how valid the rumors are that if for the right price they'd trade Stephon Gilmore, but of course I don't think any of that's going to happen because I don't know who's going to pay that price and what the price is going to be. But, I mean, you can see that this thing isn't working. And, you know, you look at the lack of talent I mean, you, you, you've seen it in Philadelphia, but it's not even to the extent it's worse in uh, New England because, you know, uh, Nikkei Harry has not been any good at all. I know uh, Christian Fourier, who's on the broadcast, who's doing you know, broadcasting out there, he ripped him for his route running, his poor play, and everything else. Julian Edelman looks a little bit slower. It's one of the slowest receiving group in football. And then you look at the tight end position. They take two third-round tight ends and – between them, they have one catch, and then you know, Larry uh, Ryan Izzo has what six or seven catches. It's just not good enough. Yeah, and I know uh, there's a guy in Seattle that both the Patriots and Eagles could have had, and he's worked out pretty good for the Seahawks. They look better if he was in an Eagles uniform or a Patriots uniform. That uh, DK Metcalf guy is pretty good. He's John Clayton. Uh, his NFL column appears each Monday in the Washington Post. He goes over all the biggest NFL storylines, 710 ESPN Seattle, and, of course, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. John, thanks for taking us around the league. Okay, thank you. All right, we will uh, catch up with John down the road. And, of course, the Eagles play Seattle. We'll have to talk to John during that week as well. Always good to catch up with John Clayton right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. He's the man. No He's doubt. a wealth of knowledge. No doubt about it. I wonder what his opinion was on the analytics of that game last night. Should have asked him. Clayton cares about baseball at all? What if he just went on a 25-minute rant about analytics and baseball? Well, he does a show out in Seattle, so I'm sure he talks about the Mariners Definitely. every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, they're terrible. Yeah, I'm sure. would love to hear his opinion on that last night. What if he went, Gil, you're wrong. Broach, you're a very intelligent <laughs> man. I don't know if that would be the case. Well, and quite frankly, I didn't say that the Rays were right or wrong. Right. I just didn't agree with what right. they did. Now I'm with you. You know? Yep. And I think that's fair. I think it's fair to question right. them. I just can't rip will, them for like, doing it. I don't agree with staunchly supporting them only because that's what they do. You're allowed to say I typically agree with them, but in that situation, I don't. That's all. 
And I think people like yourself are saying, well, that's what they do, so therefore I agree with them. It's maybe not Even if you don't agree with what they did, just because that's what they do, you're now just saying, well, that's what they do, so I'm going to agree with them. Even if you're saying, I typically agree with what they do, in that situation, I do not. That's where I'm at. Well, I'm just going to say, like, whether I agree, disagree with what I would have done in that situation, I can't, and this is the word you use, you know, like, I can't blast them for doing it. That's where I'm at. Like, I can't blast them yeah, for doing it. I can them. justify why they did it yeah. based off of current situations. Sure. I mean, and I could justify them. I would just say, I, if I was trying to justify them, I would be doing it in a way that I don't agree with. I just don't agree with it. That's all. I'm not blasting them. I understand why and their reasoning. I just don't agree with it. Sports Bats brought to you by... Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online at PropSwap.com. Thanks to John Clayton for jumping in, taking us around the NFL. SPNFM. All right, Bob Wankel covers the Phillies. He'll join us uh, at 5 o'clock tonight. We'll talk a little baseball. We'll get his thoughts on this just from an outsider's perspective, from a uh, baseball perspective, and then some Phillies stuff. JT Realmuto, there's some thoughts that he wants to stay with the Phillies. Does that surprise you? Um, I don't know that it surprises me so much as that I think most people just think he's gone. Right. I'm one of those people. Him and Bryce Harper hanging out. They put up Instagram posts. Yeah, had dinner the other night. Yeah. How about that? I wonder yeah. if they were watching the World Series. I wonder what Bryce Harper thought I about wonder what it. today's, like, you're like, all oh, these old players, screw them all, like, they all hate it. I wonder what today's p- players think. I think they feel the same way, to an extent. I just feel that, you know, they... Because Blake Snell, for example, he's a player in today. He didn't accept it. There's a lot of people that would look at Blake Snell and say, I'd probably feel the same way, right? Like, a lot of these players don't want to buy into the numbers, yet the numbers show that they work. So I do think they'd be pissed. A lot of the Dodgers last night, like Cody Bellinger, said this. I was shocked. I saw Kevin Cash come out the dugout. I was right there. I literally looked to my left. I was like, what is going on? Uh, We were kind of joking around in the dugout. We were like, man, way to get him out in the six. Like, that's what we wanted to do, get him out in the six and I mean, we did that. We didn't hit him at all, but he was nasty today. He was on his he, on his A game. Kind of got up, looked at there. Mookie got a hit right away, and we just kind of took off from there and tried to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, I think most of the guys, Bet said the same thing. They were He was like, I don't really want to answer the question as to what they were doing, but we were high-fiving each other because he had us today. But they shouldn't have been shocked about it. That's the thing. Like, why would the Dodgers be so shocked? Because this is who they have been forever. So that's why it's almost weird to me. Like, oh, we were so shocked that Cash was coming out. Like, why would you be? This well, is who I they are. Well, I still think that people are a little, like, when a pitcher's grooving like that, I still think, like, the hitters, from the hitter's mindset is, just because it's the third time I'm facing him doesn't mean I figured him out anymore. He's dominated me twice. It doesn't mean in that domination. Like, if I, if I fought a guy twice and he knocked me out both times, it's not like I was like, oh, I really figured things out. No, if he cold clocks me again, I'm out. Like, I think the hitters are like, dude, this guy's got me. You don't hear too many guys after they struck out twice that are like, you know what I really want to do? I want to get right back in there against this guy. No, the pitcher the pitcher has the control that he can defeat you. Like, he can have you mentally beaten, that he's got you out in a variety of ways. And if he's struck you out a couple times, you're not thinking to yourself, now, if you hit him on the nose a couple times, you're like, I got him. I feel like I want to get another swing against this guy. But not when he's dominated you like that. And that's where I think these hitters, even in the game like Betts last night, I heard him afterwards, he was just like dumbfounded. Yeah. And look, I just think that it goes out the window when you talk about a certain organization like the Rays that do it 
um, a certain way. So, you know, it's just it's what it is when it comes down to this type of philosophy. I I agree with that. But again, it goes into the moment of the game. I think you heard the Dodgers like in that moment. I'm surprised they stuck to what they did. Right. Like you're in game six of the World Series and this guy's dominating us. I was pretty shocked. Like you're hearing from multiple. It's not just like. Hey, let's just ask Rando guy who uh, got struck out twice. I mean, the whole lineup is saying to themselves, "What are you taking this guy out for?" Like, we're not doing anything against him. Like, you gave us a shot to see somebody different, and and like that's like sometimes where the human element I think needs to get interjected for all these teams, all of them. Like the Dodgers, to me, they are not nearly as tied to what they do as the Rays are, and because I think they was- don't need to be. They don't need to be. But, again, last night I don't think the Rays needed to be. They had the one guy pitching that they didn't need to be for. Fair point. Fair point. I can see both sides without a doubt. By the way, to celebrate the showdown in Happy Valley, DraftKings is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when placing a bet on either Ohio State or Penn State. Also, you can receive a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, coming up, we'll talk more baseball. Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad. We'll talk to the Phillies. We'll talk about the game last night, the decision that everybody's chiming in on. 609-403-0973.